0: Hey, what's up everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is U.S. Air Force and National Guard veteran Samuel Curry. Sam enlisted into the Air Force in 1974 and retired as a National Guard in 2013 as a Chief Master Sergeant. After 38 years of service, during his time in service, Sam completed nine tours overseas and has flown many missions as a loadmaster. He leaves us with the importance of getting involved in veteran organizations after transitioning back into civilian life and having a purpose in life. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV, or you can email us at team at urbanvalor.com. Enjoy the show. All right. How's it going, Sam? I'm doing good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, why don't we start off just uh, giving us uh, your name, uh, which branch of service you served in, um, the years, and what rank you got out as.
1: Okay. My name is Sam Curry. Uh, Started out the uh, in the Air Force in 1974. I was on C 5s uh, as a loadmaster. And then in 78, I departed the Air Force in 79, joined the Georgia Air National Guard here in Savannah at the 165th, uh, flying 130s as a loadmaster, and ended my career after 38 years. Retired in
0: 2013. Wow. <clears throat> wow. So, so any. Well, you're thank way. you for your service, man. Well, you're 38 welcome. years, that's a long time.
1: That is, and I worked my way up and retired as a uh, Chief Mass Sergeant, E9.
0: Nice. Awesome. So. All right, um, so tell me a little bit about uh, where you're from. Well, where were you born, and what, were you, what was your childhood <laughs> like?
1: Well, I was born here in, uh, born in Brunswick, Georgia. My father worked for... Uh, a company uh, in, the, in the 50s uh, called Babcock Wilcox, they were building Liberty ships. They were slowly winding down after World War II. Well, we moved up here in Savannah, so I'm raised here in Savannah and um, went to the public school system for uh, Chatham County. And, and I started doing sheet metal work. I was a sheet metal apprentice, working my way up to sheet metal journeyman. But in 1974, we had a president, Jimmy Carter, from Plains, Georgia. And we were in a recession, and an oil embargo, and things were looking bad, and people were laying off left and right. And uh, I just had to do something because they had told me that we're going to be start closing, that we're going to start closing down the uh, business. So I had to find a, a job. So I was actually going in to uh, either join the Air Force or the Marines, but the Air Force recruiter caught me first. So, <laughs> so I went in as a, in 1974 as a. Uh, airman basic and went to Lackland did everything and then went to all the schools uh the wonderful schools the air force and the military send you to
0: yeah. that
1: are loads of fun and
0: uh wow and, um now growing up did you grow up with both your parents did you have any siblings
1: yeah I got a sister my mother died when I was seven years old so I just had a father and uh and my sister's two years older than I am and uh, everybody went my father <laughs> uh he was uh, old when I was uh, born. He was 53 when I was born. So, you know, uh, he'd been around a lot longer than I have, of course. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that he did was uh, he was actually in World War I. Oh, wow. So he, uh, he, he didn't talk about it much, but he did talk a few things about it. But it's one of those things that we have uh, PTSD, uh, that they suffered the same thing. He was in the Marines. He was in the uh, Second and uh, he was a cannoneer. And, wow. Uh, so he was uh, over there also, but he didn't talk much about it. So, but, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, So why did I join the uh, military? Well, the way life was, I had to do something. Yeah. I wasn't in, wasn't in tune, wasn't trained, uh, disciplined enough to go to school. Mm-hmm. I, I tried it, but uh, it's like, okay, that's it. I, I can't do this. So,
0: yeah, so yeah. the military looked to be the best route for you, right? Yeah, it is, and I, I really don't regret it had a great time um so what did you uh so you went in a you said the air force recruiter snatched you up first huh <laughs> yeah um well I, actually
1: uh as you're walking down the stairs where it is at the old courthouse the first thing you see is the army and i didn't really want to be in the army i, I was going to be the air force or marines and the next door was the air force and i just happened to walk by and stuck my head in there and the guy guy said hey come on in and then that's the way it was. and never even saw the Marine recruiter.
0: Now, um, when you enlisted back then, uh, did you get? Did you have a choice of jobs?
1: I went under what they call a guaranteed job, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, so we started looking through the book, and I saw things as says, aircraft loadmaster gets to fly on the airplane, blah, blah, blah. I've been charged with that, and I said, I'll, I'll do that. So it was a guaranteed career, and... So you go through basic and you go straight to the train start the training and which you go to uh, you get get to go to Shepherd and Altis and see your training and wonderful place you get to go to all those and uh then you get to your site, which I was at Travis California and flew c fives and uh it was uh, you know like all military it's fire hose training so but it was uh it, you can do it. It's no real yeah. problem.
0: Um, where'd you go to boot camp?
1: Uh, at Lackland Air Force Base. Lackland Air Force Base? Lackland. Yeah. And it was, uh, we went straight from there to Shepard Air Force Base, which was an active duty base, of course. And then from there to Altus, which is the C5 training center. And then, and that took about a year and a half for all that training to do it. Plus the uh, survival training and, uh, uh, the training back at the base about a year and a half before they finally let you go and says okay you 're now a loadmaster go forth and tear stuff up so
0: wow um, what is the um, what is like the specific job duty of a loadmaster well we're in charge of um, one bringing
1: all of get the airplane prepared, bringing all of the cargo on the airplane, making sure that it's compatible with each other that we have um, hazardous material where it doesn't react to each other or something that's dangerous on the airplane, Uh, weight and balance, uh, critical load uh, stations, there's just so much stuff. It's a lot of math, a lot of figuring out where you can put stuff for for PSI limitations, restraint limitations, because you got an airplane that's uh, that's moving around, and that stuff's moving around inside of it. You have to restrict it to keep it from moving, because if you put a vehicle in there and you put less chains or less and if it breaks loose, well now you've got a problem. And the problem is that it could move aft or it could move forward where the aircraft's uncontrollable. So what we try to do is make sure that it's in limits for flight, normal flight, and we also have uh, make sure that it's secured
0: and restrained. So and wow. um, you said you had to, you had to go through SEER school for that?
1: Yeah. Well, can you
0: survive yeah survival school, yeah. Wonderful time yeah can you talk a little bit about what that was like um,
1: <laughs> well, let's see SEER school was uh, again fire hose training being in interrogation uh, being um, being abused and learning how if you if they they say if you learn this, then if you are captured, you will be able to use this and I don't know if it did did or not, but we had to go through uh three weeks of that and then one week of water survival so
0: yeah. That's just in case you get captured, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: So all for captured and all for like they. You go through parachute training. Uh, you don't actually jump out, but you go through parachute training on the swing land trainer and the towers, mm-hmm. and, and uh, then you get to do the water in the lake. You get to, get to do with the uh, helicopter pickup in the water and uh, all the, all the good stuff that the Air Force wants you to learn.
0: Wow. Um, so, what was your uh, first official? Uh, uh, duty assignment or where were you stationed?
1: I was stationed at Travis Air Force California and after all the additional training once you get back familiarization training then you, you have an instructor with you for probably six months and our, my first trip was uh, what they call a westbound. we we'll take off at California and we we'll go to uh, Hickam Air Force Base and uh, spend the night on load then fly to uh, either Wake or Guam. And then from Guam, we go to the Philippines, Philippines to, um, to uh, Japan, Japan, and then Japan to Alaska, Alaska to McCord. So it's just a westbound, just makes a big loop. Right. And then the eastbound, the next trip was, uh, was going east. And that's where you go to Dover, to Germany, to, to England, to Germany, and just make another loop. It's called an eastbound. And uh, I did get selected later on to do a lot of um, special missions called SAMs. And special airlift. Uh, and what we did was we would load, uh, equipment up and take it to different countries. And some countries, uh, like we'd load eight F-5s on a C-5 and we'd fly it to Jordan or fly it to Iran. And, and that's when the Shah was in and Iran was, was westernized and good people before it turned into the Islamic state of Iran. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, I did a lot of those, uh, but, uh, it, there was a lot of stuff to do on c5s we went all over the place hauling presidential stuff and our wow. presidential communications equipment and, and anytime president goes someplace there's a huge amount of people that follow him around or prepare for him, take and go prepare
0: right yeah it's so, a lot of planning for that right yes yeah, it's a lot of stuff um, what was your uh, favorite assignment why you why you you know you served 38 years right well
1: I like California, but uh, family was here, so I decided to uh, leave. De- uh, at the end of my enlistment in December, uh, I, I got out, and I immediately enlisted at 165th here in Savannah, Georgia, a C-130 unit, in January. So I had no break in service, so I just continued on. And then I went back to uh, school again to Little Rock to learn to uh, be a loadmaster on uh, 130s, which are, uh, you have basic loadmaster, then you have uh, mission qual, which is airdrops. Mm. So I did that, and I enjoyed, because I did it so long, I enjoyed the uh, 130 aspect of of, uh, the the training and the flying. Uh, 130 was, I wouldn't say much more intel, but you did airdrop, and, and to me it was more fun. I enjoyed the airdrop phase of it all.
0: Yeah,
1: watching watching the crazy people jump
0: out of airplanes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were you uh, stationed during that assignment? Oh, here in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, here right?
1: in Savannah, uh, unless we were going off on uh, deployments or we were going to do things, uh, we did a lot of. We went everywhere. Uh, yeah, they would, we would always go everywhere for two weeks. And people have a misconception of the uh, Air National Guard. They think that all you do is go out for one. Uh, weekend a week in the month, a Saturday and a Sunday, and then then uh, two weeks out of the year for summer training. Well, if you're an operational 130 unit, you don't do that. You're constantly going. We have people always somewhere, flying, going someplace. In fact, they, uh, they understand that, and Congress gave us extra pay for that. And what they do is called AFTPs, Additional Flight Training Periods. And you would get... Uh, you'd get 48 of those a year on top of your UTA, not on top of your special training, on top of your annual training. I mean, just a lot of a lot of things to where you could uh, you could come out and f- make a flight in the afternoon, fly for four hours. You fill out a pay card and you get a get paid for uh, coming out and fly because you, you, you've got to stay proficient. Right. And if you, you don't do it all the time, you're not you're not staying proficient. You have to. Uh,
0: wow. Uh, Keep up. How many, uh, did you do any deployments?
1: I did a lot of deployments. Um, 38 years, did quite a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, there there's so many of them that you could, you know, talk about going to Egypt and uh, going to uh, do the uh, Rwandan. Uh, we did the Rwandan uh, thing when the uh, What was that? Over there? That was over in Africa, and that's when they had the, um, they made it made a movie about it. Uh, Rwanda was under a, how, how can I put this politely, the Hutus hated the Tutus and they were going through an extermination period killing people. And we went over there and worked out of Uganda, Entebbe, Uganda, where the uh, Israelis came in and took out the, uh, the Arabs when they um, uh, hijacked their airplane. And uh, we were right in in front of that building where they went and and took them out, and the and the Israelis got all the people back, except for one individual. But we were flying support into Goma, Zaire, and Entebbe, and, and not Entebbe, excuse me, Goma, Zaire, and uh, a lot of other places, uh, supporting with food and and all the stuff to uh, to help them uh, during that time period.
0: Yeah, and humanitarian. Then right,
1: and then right from there, we turned right into going doing the Sarajevo during the Yugoslavia. Uh, Mm. thing we were flying in and out of uh yugoslavia taking food and doing airdrops over uh yugoslavia where they were having the uh big war thing.
0: wow
1: so we were constantly doing stuff like that like i say that everybody's got a misconception the guards only one week in a month uh, no we were we were there for months and months and months
0: yeah um while you were doing these you know humanitarian missions it sounds like right mm-hmm. uh did you ever find yourself in any type of danger uh, while doing this? Um, no, no. No? You guys are good? Uh,
1: the, the, our biggest problem is, uh, we call it the golden BB.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, you're flying along nice and happy if uh, somebody down the ground wants to shoot you and you just happen to be in the right, wrong place at the wrong time, is a golden BB. Yeah, uh, the, but our biggest threat to, to all of us was the weather over there. Because then, in going into Sarajevo, you got two mountains on the left and the right, and you you can't see until you get right on the ground almost. So, so the navigator and the people up front hopefully keep us safe because we're only a millisecond behind them.
0: Yeah. Um. So, how long did you do in the Air Force initially? Uh, a little over four years, about four years, four months. Oh, four four years. And what, 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 what rank did you get out of the Air Force? I was a staff sergeant when Staffs I got sergeant. out of there. Mm-hmm. Oh. So when you moved into the Coast Guard, do you, do you, did you National get a— National Guard. Or National Guard. Yeah. Did you get a carrier rank with you, or yeah. how's that? Yeah,
1: got to carry it. Uh, the, the Air National Guard, they have a a— a tier system to where it's just like you can have so many staff sergeants so many tech sergeants so many masters so many seniors so many chiefs you can only have it is so if you've got a billet to where you are in a staff sergeant position you get to keep it so i just happened to be uh with the experience and stuff they said we're gonna keep you as a staff sergeant so i didn't lose anything oh nice straight back to where i was
0: yeah wow um and then 38, a total of 38 years you mm-hmm. served, you just, re, you just retired, when was it? 2013. 2013? Yeah. Oh. Um, You miss it? I miss some of the
1: places I went, some of the people, but when you get a certain age and stuff, uh, my last tour in uh, Afghanistan, you're sort of like going, okay, I, this is for young people. You yeah. Know, I was 58 then, 59, I was 59 and I'm like, this is it. I'm, I'm finished. This this is a young guy's thing of being up 36 hours and getting a couple hours of sleep and then doing it again, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm ready to cut this out. <laughs> what was that like, that tour in Afghanistan?
1: Well, I went there, well, when we went there for the, well, we didn't go there. Here again, the air guard's kind of weird how they set this up. I spent, uh, during the first Gulf War, I spent two months in Daharan flying all the support missions then the next war kicked off we went to a place called Masura Air Base Oman
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay and that's in 2003 when everything was kicking off we were there before the war kicked off but we were flying support missions into uh, Kuwait and we were going to Hornet Africa we were flying up to Afghanistan and then the war kicked off so then we'd fly to Kuwait and we were flying into and out of uh, of uh, Iraq and we were just constantly, you do probably about six flights a day back and forth uh, into Iraq carrying people and equipment and, and uh, bringing out wounded, carrying medevac in, bringing out people from medevac, uh, medevac them out back to Kuwait. And in Kuwait, they would send them a uh, special airlift to uh, a So we were we were moving the people all around and the equipment and stuff. And I did a total of nine
0: tours. Wow. So what would you do? Um, you know, if you're going to pick up, let's say, um, wounded, uh, you know, what was your job? Uh, you know, once you you've landed, uh, can you just describe on to me how that works? How does it work when you're?
1: Well, a lot of times you go in and uh, you're killing. You're carrying cargo or passengers, and you're either carrying 50 people and two pallets of cargo, or you're carrying. Uh, vehicles or you, it it depends on what you got pallets of food or whatever and you get there sometimes you'll have a medevac crew with you that will leave uh, kuwait with you because they had um, i can't remember the outfit that was as okay anyway so you would carry them with but sometimes you'd go up there and say hey we got three wounded can you take them so we would throw them on the airplane and they would be stabilized to where it, it was nothing really if if it's life, limb, or eyesight, you would have medevac with you. If it was just somebody that just got hurt, and let's say they, they uh, were, were busted up or whatever, we put them on the airplanes, our flight, get them to Kuwait, they'd come out, rush them, and take them to wherever they needed to go. So we, you, it was mostly, uh, this is what we have, take it while you can. If we did medevac, uh, we did a lot of those uh, going into uh, Baghdad and going into Afghanistan and stuff. Uh, those people never get a good pat on the back for what they do for people. The, f- the first thing that happens is, of course, you get wounded and your medic takes care of you. Then you get airlifted to a station, counts on where you're at, if you're in Jalalabad or wherever it is. And then we come in after stabilized, pick them up, take them to Bagram. And Bagram's where the central hospital was. And then the C-17s come in and take and bring them to the Landstuhl. And uh, there sometimes some times that some of these people are alive that uh, I'm just amazed uh, if myself thinking about it that uh you know if all you are is a head in a trunk why do you want to be here but they kept uh-huh. them alive and they bring them back and you see these same people on tvs now as spokesmen for wounded warriors or whatever they're doing this stuff and you wonder is that one that i brought out yeah you know, is that one that uh was, wow. was hurt and stuff but the doctors and and the flight flight uh, medics and stuff they do an outstanding job keeping these people going and it's it's pretty tough for them
0: i it bet is. um I mean, I bet it was tough being, did did you have a specific hand in, 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 uh, you know, role in, 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 um, caring for the wounded when they got onto the plane, or did you just let the medics?
1: Let the medics, we set the airplane up, they would come in and set up all their equipment, assist them in setting their equipment up, we'd carry the litters, but mostly ours, because a lot of times it was engine running, we'd go to to some of the bases and you never shut the engines down so it was engines running and we would just coordinate getting the people on because they back a ambulance up and you'd have to get people to to carry them onto the airplane stuff and we did mostly just just uh, watching them and holding stuff for them because we're not trained in that right uh, loadmasters not trained in it uh, and uh, you know, once in a while they'll say, hey, hold this bag up and you'll hold it. And, right. And then you, your, your big thing is to make sure when you take off that everything's secure and everything's shut up and nothing's rolling around. And, and you, you get back to where you want to because you don't want to compound the problems I got now.
0: Right. So sounds like you, you, your, your job during that, you know, during a mission like that on evacuating a wounded is to make sure the environment is safe yeah. for, for the team to be able to, you know, work on the subject.
1: Yeah, and the one hundred and thirty is not a very quiet airplane. I don't know, <laughs> I'm sure you've got the experience of being in a one hundred and thirty. It's uh, so you've got to learn how to uh, talk to people. Yeah, <laughs> learn how, what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, what was that like for you? You know, you know, seeing wounded being carried out of combat. You know, did that like can you remember the first time that you saw that? Like, you know, did, did it affect you at all right away? Uh, did you just become?
1: I don't know if it really affected me. Um, it's the same thing as carrying a KI out, a bag, uh, sadly, a bag. Um, it's one of the things where you get, I wouldn't say satisfaction, but you get the knowledge knowing that you're you're transporting this individual back to their family. You're tra- taking them to their home or you're taking somebody to get, get, uh, get taken care of. You don't want to, um, I don't dwell on it. I, I was doing what I was supposed to do and I'd like to think that I had a hand in getting them back to where they, they uh, could get the help or taking them home to their family.
0: Right, so the family could at least have some closure of their... Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Exactly. I didn't,
1: uh, you know, you, you were there to do a job. And our job, sadly, uh, 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 Colonel said it the best, he said, our job is to support that 18-year-old with the rifle. That's it, we're, there to support. we're in the support role. Everybody is in a support role. There's very few individuals that actually got to pull the trigger, but our job is to support you guys pulling yeah. the trigger.
0: Yeah, uh, and you're right, I, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, a lot of the support roles, um, you know, they don't get the credit that, you know, they deserve, Mm -mm. right? Um, No. um, uh, It's kind of, you know, a lot of support roles are kind of a thankless job, (laughs) right? Um, Very much, yeah. uh, Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Um, So you you were part of the Gulf War, I think that's the one you're talking about. I think it was like around 92, early 90s, Yeah, 92, and um, it
1: it all... Blend together because when the Gulf War went on, then the, uh, the Rwandan incident went on, and then Sarajevo was going on, and then other issues were just continual. We had Urgent Fury, which was uh, Panama, and then we had Grenada, and it was just just one right after another, to uh-huh. where we were constantly going someplace or going to do something. Mm-hmm. So, and then then here comes Saddam. Uh, there comes Hussein. You know he's invades Kuwait, which is a big deal, and uh, never stop from there. just always going to do something
0: right right um, Did you guys get word when you when you were part of the invasion of uh, you know Iraq in 2003? Um, did you guys get word? That the war was over within a couple of days. I remember, I remember being out there and them calling it like, "All right, we're pretty much done," but it 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 wasn't done. <laughs> no, it
1: was never done. Yeah, it was never uh, done. They they said it was over, but uh, no, there was always uh, stuff to take, people to carry, and people yeah. to 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 support, and we did a lot of that, and which is our job, right? It, yeah,
0: which is our job. Um. So was Savannah, George, out here in Savannah, was your last duty station? Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right there at the 165th. I had the, uh, I finished up my sheet metal apprentice job, and I was a sheet metal mechanic. And I was working at a, um, a nuclear power plant right up the road called Plant Bowl Nuclear Power Plant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the job came open as a full-time technician out at the 165th and I was tired of driving from Savannah all the way to Waynesboro, Georgia, which is about maybe 60, 70 miles away. Get up at three in the morning, and get home at nine at night. So I said, okay, that's it. So I'm, I joined the uh, Air National Guard <clears throat> Civil Service position uh, in 83 and stayed there until 2003, uh, 2013 as a uh, full-time technician which full-time technician, you, you maintain your uh, military position also because they're all tied together. Oh, um, nice. So, and, and uh, Congress has said that uh, when you reach age 60, you got to go. So, I was ready to go before age 60, but, <laughs> but, but anyway, is,
0: Um yeah. What was it like for you, uh, you know, after 38 years of service, transitioning out of the service?
1: To me, because being a civil servant in Savannah with my home right here, it, it really wasn't that much difference. Now, was I was I missing something? Yeah, of course, you miss something because you're always constantly going, constantly going, constantly going. And you stay home for six months and you're doing, the, you know, uh, stuff around the house. And after a while, you're going, I got to find something else to do. So what I did was uh, I volunteered out at the 8th Air Force Museum and uh, working on the B-17 and working on the uh, facilities out at the 8th Air Force Museum and uh, about two years later I became the project manager on the B-17 and uh, I I like to call it herding cats. I got about 40 to 120 people and all I do is give them jobs and say, go go out and tear something up or go out and build something and stuff. And I'm still out there. Now I'm the operations supervisor, and we got a great group of people out there working on the B-17. We're getting ready to start a B-24, and we just constantly doing stuff. And then I found this place, the American Legion, and I'm now uh, here at the American Legion since 2014. And I I enjoyed here. Got a great group of people, and we are here also veteran and service-supported in people we uh, we do a lot for the veterans around here
0: yeah can you uh talk a little bit about that um maybe some of the things you guys are doing here at this uh post well
1: we uh we have a service officer and we 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 do a lot of veterans support we have a service officer who comes in and he will uh spend time guiding the ser- the uh veteran in the right direction. If they need monetary assistance, I give him a budget so he can have some monies to pass on to this individual or he can guide them to the VA or to some place that helps them out. Because it's sad that a lot of people uh, don't know this. When you transition out of the uh, military, they basically say, okay, here it is. Here's your physical. Here's this here. See you later. And there's nothing that tells you, uh, like the VA, they say, okay, all your records have been sent to the VA. All right, what do I do now? Well, sent to the VA. It took me three years to get my first appointment at the VA. So I finally got the first appointment at the VA, and I'm on, you know, I've been with them for uh, uh, every year since then. And if you don't really get that good of a uh, you're-out-of-here briefing. And I'm sure you served, did the same thing, you know, basically, thank you for your service, uh, have a good life, bye.
0: Yeah, I... I i remember the exact words i think it was our first sergeant It was like hey if you you know when we got back from our deployment um from the iraq invasion um it was a uh, hey there's a bunch of new marines that got bar- that need barracks if you're not re-enlisting you need to go you know check your gear out uh or, or you know turn your gear back in and get and get out it's time to go Yep. um and you know i was literally you know one moment I was, you know, in Iraq, you know, combat, um, and three weeks later I was sitting at home as a civilian, <laughs> um, not knowing what to do with my life. And you're you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I've been out for you know since 2004 or so, and um, I'm still finding out about veteran organizations mm-hmm. and benefits and stuff that you know is 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 a resource for us. That I had no clue about. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: absolutely. And we here we are involved in so many things. We are we're big time involved with what called the tiny houses, which is right down the road, mm-hmm. which is uh, which are small houses. they I think they're like uh, I don't know three or four hundred foot square, and they got a bedroom, a little kitchenette, and stuff to where, and they're specifically guided and directed towards veterans, homeless veterans. And we have coat drives, we have sock drives, we have so much stuff, and we take them down to the homeless camps and and distribute them, and not just to veterans, but to everybody. So we we are constantly doing something like that always.
0: That's awesome. Um, Now, do you guys do anything for um, mental health as far as for veterans?
1: We have some organizations that we guide them to, we direct them to for Mm -hmm. mental health. Uh, We have... um, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it is, but our, one of our big things is uh, we have groups that we contact if somebody contacts us for suicide prevention. That's a huge thing right now. It, the 22 is way too many, and I heard it's more than 22 because if you count everybody from from the first Gulf War, well, World War II, first Gulf War, Korea, everything, people are are uh, for some reason not finding a reason to live. And suicide prevention is a big thing right now. We're, we're pushing a lot of, uh, of that right now to see if we can stop that. And if you ever get involved in suicide prevention, it's uh, well worth your time and effort because you are helping people. All you got to do is one time and you realize how much you're, you are helping people.
0: Yeah. Um, what, do you think it, what do you think it is, Sam? Why do you think that suicide is such a big thing right now in the veteran community?
1: I don't know if it's a if it's one where they're all of a sudden nobody because for a long time they were somebody you know they were in an organization they were in a group they were they were doing something they were constantly busy and then the next thing you know they're sort of like a go away have fun we'll see you later and you you have nothing and. Your buddies are now separated you're not in the same place with your buddies which you were there for two four years six years or whatever and uh, you, you sort of like i guess they feel like they're lost and then it gets worse and worse and that the uh the stuff that they see uh you know the ptsd affects them and uh it's just it's a whole combination of things Problems at home, family problems, coming home to a wife that doesn't understand, and and all the things that happen. And eventually, I guess it's overwhelming. I, I'm lucky myself that I've never had those, uh, those issues. Uh, I guess because I was stationed here and only here, and all my friends and family are here, that I had a, a good idea of what I wanted to do. And uh, I had a lot of support. Everybody has a lot of support. And we here at the the Legion, we also try to support these individuals too.
0: That's great. Uh, It sounds like, you know, would you say that um, you might have did better than others? Because it sounds like you submerged yourself in the military environment, even though you got out, you know, you're working on B-17s, B-24s, you're here at the American Legion. so it's it's almost like you never really left the military community almost. I think so. I, right.
1: I believe you have to stay busy. Some people are lucky enough to stay busy, and some can't find busyness enough. But you got to be able to, uh, to sort of like, I, I like to hear the old saying, keep the gray matter flowing and keep your body moving. And the only way you can do that, you can't stay home. I've got too many friends uh, that were in the... Um, air national guard for me a year after they had uh, retired they died because they didn't want to do anything they sat there and and uh, were couch potatoes watching tv or not doing anything you've got to get out and stay busy and, and stay active and uh you know, i just felt like that's that's what helped me out was i just stayed busy always doing something
0: yeah yeah i a hundred 100 agree you got to have a purpose mm-hmm. and uh you know ha- have a so, you know, be working towards something because it's you're right. You're 100 percent right. Even myself, you know, when I ha- when I have too much time to think and, I, you know, I'm not there's nothing to do. It's just that's when all the depression starts to kick in. You start to think about all these things that you talked about. Yeah, um, it,
1: it does. And I, I'd like to say I'm one of the lucky ones that uh, that I'm one of the uh, lucky ones that I wouldn't say it doesn't bother me as much, but I can at least say, OK, about something else and it, it doesn't uh doesn't dwell i like to say that to myself yeah after all the stuff that that uh, we all see and that we all do
0: all right um well it's awesome it's awesome that you guys are doing a lot of uh, great things here at this post um you know one of the reasons why we're doing this project right here doing veteran stories is to bring out more awareness of these organizations uh, mm-hmm. like like here, you know, um, yeah. it just even just starting this project i've learned of so many different organizations I had no idea were around mm-hmm. um, I mean yeah. every avenue you know there's a there's an organization I found out uh, that's called like guitar for vets you know or something like that where you could get 10 free lessons and at the end of it they give you a free guitar like wow i just think it's something it's those little important things like that like it could just be something so simple as that is learning to play an instrument um for that specific you know period of time that could keep you occupied and keep you out of that bad space yes yeah
1: absolutely Um, and and that's what i i'm glad to see a lot of places like that are coming around to where they understand that people need assistance. And all it is is a little bit of time. That's all it takes is a little bit of time to turn somebody away from that bad area that they're in.
0: Right. Right. Um, all right, Sam. Well, we're probably going to get ready to wrap it up. Um, anything that, you know, you want to talk about that you didn't get a chance to say or anything? No, or missed before we cut the tape.
1: I'm good. I, I guess the biggest thing I want to tell all the uh, veterans out there, all, all of the people getting ready to get out there, is stay busy. Find a place like American Legion, a veterans of VFW, uh, something. Get immersed in something to where you have friends again. Don't don't leave your base never to see anybody again. Try to get involved to where, <clears throat> if it's a church, if it's whatever it is, get in something to where you have contact with individuals and y'all can support each other because it takes more than one
0: yeah um you know i i've uh, i'm encouraging a lot of my um my buddies who i served with you know join the american legion let's join here let's go hang out over here talk to some other vets and um i'll be honest you know i i had the perception that these organizations and stuff are just full of just old school vietnam like you know, and I and I have a feeling that's that's uh that's the mindset to a, long, a lot of us younger generation who just went through these, um you know, uh, the Iraqi War, Afghanistan, and all that. They they have this perception that, you know, these organizations are just all the old timers and stuff. I and know. um I you know, know <laughs> I, matter of fact, when I got inducted into the American Legion a couple of weeks ago, um. Um, I'm still learning, like how, how the like the vices, vice commanders, and stuff, how all that stuff works. But they approached me right away. It was like, "Hey, man, like, you know, we need some younger guys in here. Get people in here." And I was just yeah. like, "Wow!" It just really confirmed what I thought already. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh,
1: we need to get uh, people away from the idea that all the American Legion is is a place where a, a smoky hole where a lot of people sit drink liquor and beer and tell war stories. It's not what that is. What that is is community involvement. It's, it's a community, state, and nation. We're all about this of helping veterans. We're all about this of helping each other, comradeship, and and uh, we need to get away from that. And it's, as you can tell, this place here, we try to keep it very clean. We try to keep it respectable. And and uh, that's what the American Legion is, is to show respect to individuals and to help each other out.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, hey, Sam, uh, we're going to just wrap it up then, man. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, you know, you sitting down here and telling your story like this is, is it's the backbone of what we're doing here and uh, to bring about more awareness and stuff. So really appreciate it. Thank you for your service. Um, uh, you're welcome, and thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, thank you, sir. Push it to the limit. I can't go no more. Red
1: light, no way. I'm coming back home.